This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Thanks for being with us this morning. Well, if you've ever wanted to head out of the urban areas and find out what it's like to hunt and gather your own food, Dylan Ayers is your guy. He is with the Vancouver-based group Eat Wild, and he has been taking people and doing those types of workshops and such for a few years now. But recently, he posted some photos, some images to social media of a morel mushroom bounty from an area near Cache Creek. And he joins us now to talk a a little bit more about that. Dylan, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. Hey, you have posted some really fascinating photos of a lot of morel mushrooms and drying the mushrooms and such, but you got a bit of a backlash from some people on social media. Were you surprised at some of the negativity that was sparked by that? For sure, for sure. Because, I mean, in, in what I do, I, you know, I teach people to hunt and gather wild food in the Eat Wild Project. And, and I'm very conscious of say, posting images of, of dead animals um, because of the concern that would come from a number of people, particularly if they don't know the context of you know, why that animal is, is, is dead. And, and, and for me, that story is, well, it's part of my heritage. It's part of how I feed myself and my family and friends. And it's a process where I take full responsibility for an animal's life that then eventually becomes food. And I try and tell that story um, whenever I post images and stories and videos um, around the Eat Wild Project, particularly around um, animals. And so when I had, we had a very successful, well, a relatively successful um, morel picking adventure where I went with two other friends um, and we came back with about 100 pounds of morel mushrooms. And we ended up coming back late, fairly late at night and, and, uh, and we were sort of going to, Put all these cycle all these mushrooms through the through the dehydrator because um, if you in order to preserve mushrooms uh, so you can you can store them and enjoy them for, for you know for a year to come or longer you need to either you know, dry them out or, or cook them and freeze them as the two main ways of storing them so our plan was to, to dry them and once we got to where we were gonna uh, you know stuff them into the, the the dehydrator and cycle them through we realized well we have probably more than the dehydrators can really handle. So we decided to make drying racks at 10 o'clock at night. So that was the image of us sort of out there at 10 o'clock at night building drying racks and like laying out all these mushrooms, which, you know, basically if the images looks like about a, a 10 foot square area covered in these morel mushrooms. And I, I posted that picture and, and, and I guess people looked at that image and were like, wow, you, you've gone out and picked every mushroom from the forest. How can this be legal? Or I'm very concerned. So it was, it was, a, it was maybe like, you know, half a dozen comments of people and in amongst you know the couple thousand people that might see these images, so it wasn't all that significant. But what it, what it showed me is that there was a I wasn't I wasn't sharing the context as to why there were so many mushrooms, and that's kind of where the discussion started. So it followed up with a number of other posts around creating more context. But I I thought it was kind of I don't know if it's ironic is the right word, but with a guy that posts so many pictures of dead fish and dead animals, how come the pictures of the mushrooms are the one that vaulted me onto? <laughs> getting a call from you and getting picked up by Vancouver is awesome and, and so on. So so here I am. Anyways, <laughs> that's, okay. that's, that's how I got here. Exactly. And I guess people, So, and I think also because it was near where there was the forest fire last year, was that people, I guess, misunderstood and thought that you were in there and just pillaging this area and leaving nothing for other wildlife. But but explain a little bit too, because you've written about this and likening the morel. It's, it's like the fruit of the, the plant. Yeah, so so you know, I, I'm not a, my, a mycologist. I mean, I, I, I'm a I'm a hunter, and uh, you know, so I, I my understanding of of 
biology and I guess and, and mycology is that so that you know I understand how to go out and, and harvest and understand the species so I'm you know well enough to uh, advocate for their conservation or and also I understand you know how, how to go about and, and harvest these things and the timing and such but um, uh, but may, but you know as far as the actual biology and or, or ecology or mycology in this case uh, I'm not an expert but I do understand a little bit and, and I and for sure around the ethics uh, and and the, the sustainability of harvesting. I'm well aware of that because it's very important to me for, for everything I do. Um, but the, 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 the actual morel themselves is like the fruiting body. It's like the, it's like the apple on the tree. Um, when you, if you pick, you know, all the apples off the tree, the tree itself isn't impacted. Um, it, like the tree will grow mushroom, uh, will go apples again the next year. So the actual morel is the fruiting body. The, it's the, it's the mycorrhizal, which is kind of like the roots um, of, of of the, the morels that spread out, and they're actually, I, my understanding is, they're all kind of attached underneath the forest floor, um, and and when the forest is stressed, like uh, um, like with a big forest fire, the following year, um, that mycorrhizal organism produces a fruiting body. So what's kind of interesting around the morel mushroom is that uh, they're they're, rel- they're they're somewhat rare um, during uh, a normal. Uh, a normal year where there's no forest fires or no, no, no significant stresses to the forest. And then when there's a big stress, uh, like the forest fire or, or logging potentially, um, the, the fruiting body will, will, will emerge from the mycorrhizal the following year. So, so what's really special about this year is that we all remember the devastating forest fires that passed through British Columbia. Almost a million hectares of British Columbia's forest burned last year, um, which is it's incredible. Um, now, one of the one of the one of the results of that is that there's this rejuvenation of the forest the following year, and part of that is this flush of morel mushrooms that has come, comes up in the burnt areas. So, so that's what we were experiencing this year. Is there's a high density of these little fruiting bodies, lovely morel mushrooms surfacing, and um, is over vast areas of, of British Columbia that have been impacted by the forest fire. And and you had the the uh, permits or whatever you need to go out there and do this. Well, what's really interesting about the morel industry? So I so I'm a recreational picker. I'm, I'm I, uh, with the exception of we're going to you know host a mushroom uh, um, mushroom hunting adventure uh, in June just to talk about how to do all this stuff safely and get get people out on in, on the land and and educated about this stuff. But uh, but for my my own picking, uh, that's for me and I. I, I pick for my own mushroom sauces and, and, and gourmet meals for the for the years ahead. Um, but there is a huge industry uh, that's that's uh, that's happening right now in British Columbia, and and it's uh, you you can't grow morels like that's one thing that makes them so incredibly valuable is that they haven't had any success like uh, cultivating these under under a farm setting. So they're only available in the wild, and so there's a there's an industry that follows around these forest fires uh, around the world, and they pick these mushrooms when they grow and um and then they sell them to um well back if, if you've been to any restaurant in in, in vancouver in the last couple of days i'm sure there's morels on the menu um and it's the same thing all across europe right now because there's there's literally reefer trucks full of morels driving down the um highways from from British columbia and and being flown over to europe right now as part of that that harvest so so it's a, it's a big it's a big industry um and the the, the commercial industry is it's by far much bigger than than the recreational pick that myself and others that'll you know figure it out and get out there and do it um and but it's largely unregulated so there's no 
currently British Columbia does not regulate the actual picking. Um, British Columbia regulates, like for instance, you cannot pick in provincial parks. That's really important. You can't pick in national parks. Um, but uh, the actual, we're also you know regulated as to where vehicles can go. So, it's, but that's the same regulations that hunters or anybody else has on the landscape around you know where you can and can't go. Um, but with the exception of not not harvesting on you know private land and and in, within our parks, just it's really unregulated. So it's kind of so when you spoke about permits. Um, it's kind of a, a unique thing that's happening this year, and, and uh, the the uh, the First Nations communities that had been affected by the fire, particularly the Elephant Hill fire, which is one of the larger ones, it, it's um, the Shuswap uh, uh, First Nation or, or the um, Shuswap First Nation. I hope I got that right or you're close, but I hope I did. Um, but recognizing that there's going to be a a significant uh, um, industry that's going to take place within their traditional territory with the commercial pick and likely lots of recreational pickers coming up, they recognize the importance of getting out, getting out in front of this and, uh, and getting some education into the industry to, to talk about um, best practices around harvesting and, uh, and how to limit some of those impacts. So simple things like if you're going to have like, like there could be as many as 2000 workers on the land base showing up to pick, just designating some campgrounds and ensuring that there's proper washroom facilities for proper waste disposal and, you know, those types of things that are in place so that we can limit the, the overall impact of what's going to happen in the area. So there is a permitting process. It's a nominal amount uh, to pay, but you basically are registered with this program. You get regular updates as to what's happening on the land base. So, for instance, um, there's a fire um, just adjacent to um, right near Bidet, which is right near one of the main picking areas. And it's, and it's it's growing quickly, so we're getting regular updates about where that fire is, which makes it makes for better safety for everybody. Um, but yeah, for so for twenty bucks, you know, you, you pay to get a to get a permit. It's, it respects the indigenous, um, you know, picking within the indigenous territory, and um, I think it's a, it's kind of an interesting program. All right, Dylan, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.